following program does not necessarily reflect the views of WABC Radio. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you again for joining me. Uh, We're now 52 days into Joe Biden's presidency. We are 234 days away from Election Day 2021. That's the World Series of Elections for New Jersey when New Jersey elects a governor and for New York City for mayor. And while I cover New Jersey, there's no doubt that politics and government in New Jersey and New York are perpetually intertwined. Uh, What happens in one state affects the other. And most of New Jersey shares a media market with New York City. So so we here in New Jersey on the other side of the Hudson River know all of your players. Uh, Maybe sometimes this may be a different commentary on the media. Maybe we know New York's players better than we know our own players. But every once in a while, I, I guess New Yorkers get a little bit jealous of the never-ending drama of New Jersey politics. So they try to outdo Jersey. And these days, New York is outdoing New Jersey. New Jersey's firmly out of the headlines for now. Uh, a, a governor of New Jersey that is that is not overly dramatic, not controversial in the sense of, of uh, uh, outside the, the, the domain of, of, of issues in public policy. But in place, the headlines now revolve around Governor Andrew Cuomo. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Governor Cuomo and the allegations against him. So, so don't go away. Uh, and, and I also want to let you know at 420, I'll be joined by Joseph DiVincenzo, the Essex County Executive. Joe D, as he's usually referred to, Joe D's getting rave reviews from Democrats and Republicans for his rollout of COVID vaccinations. Uh, here, here's one part of New Jersey where a hands-on government official has his act together and actually running government the way it's intended to. So I'm going to ask Joe D, County Executive DiVincenzo, about his secret sauce, how he gets things done. And you're not going to want to miss that. And and if you know anyone who holds a government post and you think maybe they're in need of a little bit of a tutorial, call them. I mean, don't call them because I want you to listen to the show, but text them, uh, email them and tell them to tune in to Talk Radio 77 WABC and they can get some pointers from Joe DiVincenzo. And at 435, I'll be joined by Hetty Rosenstein. She is the head of the communication workers of America in New Jersey. She's one of the state's most influential labor leaders. She's retiring from that job next month. Uh, and, and I want to talk to her about her career and about what's happening in New Jersey politics. Hetty isn't at all shy. She's never afraid to say exactly what she thinks and agree with her or not. She tells it exactly as it is. So uh, there's not a thing Hetty Rosenstein's going to say that you're not going to want to miss. This is David Wildstein, you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, I want to give you a quick update on what's happening with cold cases in Hoboken and Edison, where where racist flyers uh, are continuing to to be a frustration to local officials and, 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 and frustrated by the total inability of law enforcement to figure out who was behind them uh, this week. 
Assemblyman Eric Peterson. He's a Republican from Central Jersey. He asked Attorney General Grabeer Graywall for some answers. Graywall has been a little cagey about this. His office refuses to say if they're even investigating. But local officials in Hoboken and Edison are complaining that, that nothing's happening. So Peterson, he's a member of the New Jersey legislature, and he wants to know what's going on. He wrote to Graywall. He got an incredibly defensive response that still didn't answer his questions. Uh, a lot of people, local officials, me included, I, I, I think seem to be striking a nerve with the attorney general. Good, good. I'm glad that's that's our job. But Edison government leaders say that for something that happened in October of 2017, it's strange that no prosecutor has even asked them for interviews or evidence they've gathered after conducting their investigation. So I've been around a long time and, and, I, and I can tell when something's off. Friday, Friday morning, I asked the attorney general to join me on this show on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour to discuss the races flyer to talk about his potential, and I stress potential, relationships with with some of the people that are involved in his recusal policy. And I got the following email from his spokesman. The AG has already fully addressed these issues. He's already fully addressed the issues. Uh, I told the spokesman that the Attorney General, he's of course, is free to accept or reject uh, any invitations, but respectfully, that the attorney general doesn't get to decide whether an issue is fully addressed, especially when there's no clear sign that it's addressed at all. So we will be staying on top of this, and I'll keep you posted. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Let's talk about Governor Andrew Cuomo. The governor of New York is facing a growing number of allegations of sexual harassment, of making unwanted advances to women, some of whom work for him, one a young journalist whose job was to cover him. And there's a real question about whether Governor Cuomo will survive, if he'll be impeached or if he'll resign. The calls for him to leave, are, they're growing exponentially. Uh, yesterday, Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand said it's time for him to go. And, and when that happens, it's not good. And let's face it. It's not like Andy Cuomo is ever really likable, certainly not in the way that his father could be at times. Or, but maybe he was a strong leader. He, he absolutely had strong political skills. But he isn't the governor of New York because he's, he's been warm and fuzzy for the last 40 years. New Jersey Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg, who, who has some of the best political instincts I've ever seen, uh, she saw right through him. And Senator Weinberg is a Democrat, like Governor Cuomo, but listen to what she had to say about Andy Cuomo back in 2016. I thought Governor Cuomo was taking how to be a bully lessons from Governor Christie and seems to um, have adopted it quite, uh, quite well. So... Right now, Andrew Cuomo, in my opinion, is having his Hail Dorothy moment. And let me explain what I mean by a Hail Dorothy moment. I hope everybody remembers The Wizard of Oz. And at the end, when Dorothy throws a bucket of water at the Wicked Witch of the West, and you hear the witch yelling, you cursed brat, you look what you've done to me, I'm melting. Suddenly, the witch is dead. And then you hear that ominous tone of this, what would appear to be this 10-foot-tall leader of the witch's garden. He turns and he says to Dorothy, she's dead. You've killed her. And so at this point, you're thinking, oh, crap, Dorothy's in some kind of real big trouble now. She's killed the witch. But then the witch's guards, they get down on one knee and the leader says, hail Dorothy. Hail Dorothy, the wicked witch is dead. 
And so in politics, the Hail Dorothy moment comes when everyone around you, people who never really loved you, didn't really respect you, they, instead they feared you. And, and what they finally realize when you're finished is that they're no longer afraid of you, that they have in a way been granted some sort of, of independence, that they kneel down and they say, Hail Dorothy. And for Andrew Cuomo, this is his Hail Dorothy moment right now. And, and with apologies for the metaphor, the, the governor of New York is melting. Uh, this is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I want to tell a story about Essex County Executive Joe DiVincenzo before before he joins me in a few minutes to talk about the rollout of COVID vaccines that he's managing. A couple of years ago, Joe D. insisted on giving me a tour of his pride and joy, the Turtleback Zoo in West Orange. And anyone who knows Joey DiVincenzo knows that he's a hands-on manager, that he is a hugely detail-oriented person. Uh, you're not going to believe what he told me here. So Joe D. looks at the numbers from the zoo every day. He looks at the gate receipts, how many people are coming through. He looks at every number of every aspect of the zoo. He runs the place like it's a business. My, my father would really like his attention to detail. So he tells me that he noticed that bird seed sales were down, and it didn't make sense to him. And so DiVincenzo calls in his chief of staff, Phil Elagia, uh, you know, is, is every bit as equal to Joe D as a manager. And he says, Phil, something's wrong. Look at these numbers. We, we should be selling more birdseed. And Joe D knew how much birdseed zoo vitter, visitors should be buying. And the drop in sales, this sudden decline in sales of birdseed bothered him. So to make a, a long story short, he figured out that the zoo had hired a new guy to sell the birdseed. And let's just say not all the cash was making it into the register. So Essex County Executive Jody Vincenzo is now the person making sure that residents of New Jersey's second largest county are getting vaccinated. And I want everyone to hear how he's doing. So so I, I, I will not want you to miss that. I, I also want to do just uh, say something else that's happened. This is a, a big, big deal this week. Uh, a man known by every political insider uh, in New Jersey moves to become one of the most powerful people in the Biden administration. This is Matt Clapper. He is an exceptional guy. Uh, he is uh, a former Summit firefighter, a Yale Law School graduate. He's worked for Cory Booker since uh, New Jersey's senator was a city councilman in Newark. He is the new chief of staff to the U.S. Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland. Uh, I guess Clapper's leaving Team Booker, although from from what I'm told, you never really leave Team Booker. He's not going to be one of the people running the Department of Justice. Uh, this is an exceptional opportunity for Matt, and I wish him the best of luck. New, New Jersey's lost is, is clearly the Department of Justice's gain. Uh, when we come back, also, besides Jody Vincenzo, I'll be talking at 435 with Labor Leader Hetty Rosenstein about her life as the head of the Communication Workers of America, and to hear her thoughts on the upcoming New Jersey gubernatorial election, and I promise you, you won't want to miss what Hetty has to say. No one is ever disappointed. This is David Wildstein, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at AutismSpeaks.org slash together. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. BookandFilmGlobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. The NLS Braille and Talking Book Program gives patrons the freedom to read their way, listen to their stories. When I lost my sight, the only thing I had was reading, and it was like therapy to me. NLS has uh, pretty much anything you'd possibly want to read. Just can't recommend it enough. It's a free service. It's amazing how much you can get. I have used every means there is, I think, of getting access to the National Library Service books. If you want to read in electronic braille, you can. If you want to read on your phone, you can. If you want to read in print, you can. Everybody can read the way they want to read using this program, and it's a program worth looking into. For more information about the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped Library of Congress, visit loc.gov slash thatallmayread or call 1-888-NLS-READ. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And Joe DiVincenzo is in his 19th year as the Essex County Executive. He spent the last 12 months of his life immersed in managing Essex's response to the coronavirus pandemic. And now he's in charge of making sure that nearly 800,000 people who live in Essex County are vaccinated. Mr. County Executive, welcome. How are you? Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me. I um, hope you're doing well. And, and, and Essex County is getting rave reviews for administering the COVID vaccines. I mean, the plaudits for you in particular have been extraordinary from Democrats and Republicans. And uh, I keep getting I mean, since since I put up online that you were going to come on today, I keep getting calls and texts from people just saying, make sure you tell Joe D how well he's doing. Uh, What's your secret? Well, How have you have you done this? Well, the, the secret is, they, first of all, it's not me. I have a great team that's been with me for 19 years. Uh, the reason that we're in the shape that we're in now and the way things are going so smoothly, because we started early planning. We started back in September. All right. And the reason we had to start in September, because we had no choice. Our county was the hardest hit in the entire state of New Jersey when it came to positive cases and the most deaths. 
So we had to be ready, and we had all five sites ready. We opened on December 26th, and what I did is I brought the governor, I brought his deputy chief, Mike Delmarra, with us, and they've been very, very supportive to everything that we have done. And I said, listen, we've been the hardest hit. You know, we need vaccines now. We're ready to go. And uh, and they've been very supportive, and I'm very appreciative. So let me tell people what, what you've been doing. I mean, there, there, you have you have some massive covid sites the vaccine sites open uh how many do you have in the county we we have five sites we have uh kmart and west orange sears and livingston west colwell school in west colwell and then two in newark essex county college and donald Payne. the other thing that we're doing dave besides that which we started two weeks ago we have a senior transportation where we bring about 600 seniors and we're focusing mainly right now on newark east orange irvington orange bloomfield and belleville why because, uh, you know, we've vaccinated over 100,000 100, people right now. We, the lowest numbers are on our urban centers. So we're going to be focusing on them. We're going to do senior, senior transportation. We have a mobile vaccination thing that we do. We go to churches, community centers, and senior buildings. And then also with the homeless, we're starting that tomorrow. We're going to all our county shelters and shelters throughout the county. And then we also have a, where we're going to work with the homebound uh, and we're going to work with the mayors and their health offices as far as what we're going to do and how we're going to go about fixing it. Listen, I'm very proud. We have 100,000 first shots and 55,000 second shots here in Essex County. Uh, and we've only been up for 60 days. So how many are you giving out a day? How many a day? How many people are getting vaccinated every day in Essex County? Well, first and second shots, it comes to about between 38 and 4,200. With first and second shots. The thing is, if I would be my sites, we could handle 5,000 a day uh, if we had the vaccines with all five sites. And if you go behind six, that's 30,000 a week. So hopefully once the vaccines come in uh, and that should be very shortly, probably within two, three weeks, uh, I, I know I'm going to get more than what I have now, which is about 12,000 a week. Uh, so we're just waiting. We're ready to go. The volunteers I have is the best volunteers in the state of New Jersey. We have people that are over thousands of volunteers that come and support what we're doing. We've got great nurses, great doctors. We have uh, RWJ Barnabas Health, who's very supportive of us. We've got a great sheriff's department who's been working directly with us. It's been uh, It's been tough, but it's been very enjoyable. The people that are getting the shots here in Essex County are very appreciative. You know, they were very concerned about coming into the site because they thought they were going to have to face long lines. It was going to take so much time. And they get in within 30 minutes, in and out. And your turnout, your turnout, I don't know if turnout's the right word, but your participation uh, among medical professionals in your county, doctors and their staffs that are coming into volunteering, I'm, I've heard that is just like off the charts successful. It's People so are stepping successful. up. Yeah, everybody's stepping up. RWJ Barnabas Health, UMBNJ, uh, and the volunteers. They're the really ones who are making what's happening. we got great nurses, great doctors. But I always like to sing out the volunteers because without them, we wouldn't be running the way we're running now, smoothly and efficiently, if we didn't have their support. And I look, I know you well enough to know that, you know, when when you set your sights on something, you, you could be like a dog with a bone. And I and I say that only in a positive way. I would I would imagine you're calling Trenton, you know, 10, 
times a day saying I need more vaccines. Yeah. What are you what are you hearing yeah, from them? Listen, I, you know, Governor Murphy's been very supportive. And the, his deputy chief of staff, this guy, Mike Delamere. Yeah. He's been working with the entire state, but here in Essex County, all I could say is the vaccine distribution has been great. He's easy to contact. It's been great working with him. I have to tell you that. And, and I'm sure George Helmy, I know you speak to George Helmy a lot. And George, sure he's been- George Helmy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I talk to everybody a lot. You know that. That's my history. Listen, I've been involved in politics for oh, close to 40 years, 45 years, and I've organized a lot of events. Not, not even as a politician, as a regular organizer, but now as an elected official, this is probably the toughest one I had to ever do. Are because getting, this has to do with people's lives and saving lives. It does. It does. And are, you, are you getting calls from other counties saying, you know, Joe, and, I'm, and by the way, I'm speaking to Essex County Executive Joe DiVincenzo. Uh, are, are people calling you and saying, Mr. County Executive, how, how are you doing this? What can we do? How can, how can we do the same thing that you are in Essex? Yeah, listen, we got calls from Texas. We got calls from uh, Florida. Uh, and also, our, anybody who wants to see us throughout Essex County, you know, I have a lot of friends throughout the state of New Jersey. Any help they want, any kind of support that will be there. Listen, we, we're not perfect. We make mistakes each and every day. We try not to make the same mistakes the second time. And But when you come into our place, as soon as you walk in that door, you're greeted with a greeter. Then you go right to the registration, a pre-registration. Then you go to the registration table. Then you get your shot. And then you go to our, uh, the charter station, that would chart station that we have there. And then you go sit in the lobby. It's, it's so quick. People are, enjoy it so much being there. And then I also have a, you know the way I am, David. We also have music playing within the place <laughs> to calm everybody down. So, and I'm there. I'm You're I'm there every day, day, right? Every day. Every day, every site. I'm there for at least 40 minutes at each site. I go around. I make sure I thank every volunteer and meet with them and tell them how much I appreciate what they've been doing. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really good. It's brought, I think it brought Essex County out there finally. And people could see what we can do, even though we've done great things. The 19th, this has to do with their lives. Democrat, Republicans, independent, you know, people, everybody coming out. And they're so appreciative. And uh, it's really showed us as county what we can do when we all work together as a team. So is this a lesson in leadership, which is when you're you're at the top, you've got to be out there, you've got to be seen, you've got to be checking and confirming all the time so that people know that you're on top of it? Yeah, you know, I'm very, very hands-on, but I also have... Uh, I told the birdseed story earlier, so I think I, I'm hoping, yeah. hopeful that the people listening to this show know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a great team, and I am hands-on, you know, because I feel by me being engaged in it, okay, is it inspired the other people to say, look, look at the county exec, you know? And it just makes people work harder. And then I go there and I see what's being done and how we could improve the situation. And I work with my team when we every every day we talk in the morning, at eight o'clock and then at five o'clock to go over the day and go over the next day to see what we're doing, what we did and what we need to do. And uh, it's been working out very well. It's been the toughest thing I ever done. But I have to tell you, it's been the most enjoyable thing because this finally brought Essex County together. And, and this whole thing is about saving people's lives. And people are so ecstatic. They're, they get the shot. They come out. They're very appreciative. You know, they start crying, especially the older senior citizens, because now they could go see their kids, their grandkids. They can get out of their house. They've been stuck in their house for over a year. 
people are just excited, you know, and we're, we are going in the right direction, but people still got to be, we still got to be careful in what we're doing. So I'm speaking with Essex County Executive Joe DiVincenzo and, and Mr. County Executive, I have to, I have to ask you this question. Uh, once the pandemic passes and, and please God, uh, everything will return to normalcy soon. Uh, what's next? So John Bramnick and some others have said, why do we send Joe D down to the Division of Motor Vehicles and, and teach Sue Fulton how to run something to fix those problems at the DMV? Would Would you ever do that? Uh, my guess is it would take you only like a week. Would or I two. ever do it? No. Listen, I love my job. I love Essex County. We got twenty two great towns. We're the most diverse county in the state of New Jersey, and I want to make sure Essex County. For nineteen years, we got our financial house in order here. Uh, things are going very, very good. Bond, we are rating the best in in decades. Right. Yeah, we had we had oh, decades. We never we were junk bonds when I took it over. Now we have triple A bond rating, which is uh, unheard of. Nobody ever thought that we can get it in Essex County, but we did, and we've been maintaining it. And we're keeping the tax rate low. In the last ten years, we only raised taxes one point two. I mean, that's pretty good uh, compared to the past. Uh, our, and our debt service is going way down. In a few years. We're going to get our debt service all the way down to about $70 million, and uh, then it continues to go down. So we're very, very happy what we're doing, and we're going to stay on the same path. Your financial house has to be in order to be successful, and ours is right now, but you got, you always got to watch it. So are we, I mean, you know, I, I, I should point out that even pre-pandemic with all of these these plaudits that you're getting, I mean, I think your last election, you won something like 86 percent of the vote. So so you only need another four to be to, to do better than Brezhnev did the last time he ran for office. <laughs> I, are, are, are you going to run again? Is this is this oh, is this the no crowning question. jewel or? No, first of all, there's no question I'm going to run again. That would be if I run, that would be my sixth term. I really enjoy uh, what I do. I enjoy getting the warning. I enjoy going to my job. Uh, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy getting things done that people never seen before, that we're building all these buildings, renovating our buildings. People are proud of what's happening in Essex County. And I just want to continue that. I think that's going to be my legacy is not only keep the financial house in order, but what we've done and how we made this beautification of our parks, our buildings, and everything. Sure. It's, well, very, it's very good to me. Essex County Executive Joe DiVincenzo, always. I mean, I've known you a long time. Always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for coming on. I, I hope you'll be back again soon. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thank and you we will, My pleasure. And we will be back uh, in three minutes with Hetty Rosenstein, one of the most powerful people in New Jersey, the head of the Communication Workers of America, and also uh, uh, one of the most interesting people in the state. So, so please don't miss what she has to say. This is David Wildstein, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. Individual rates, coverage, offerings, and savings may vary. Subject to terms and conditions. Not available in all areas. Classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, 
whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Hetty Rosenstein is one of New Jersey's most powerful, influential people, a labor leader, the New Jersey director of the Communication Workers of America. She's recently announced she's retiring after 40 years with the union, although I, I, I suspect retirement isn't ever going to be an accurate description. Hetty, how are you? Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. No, it's it's a pleasure, and, and I should say this up front. You know, as I as I've gotten to know you a little bit, I I have to admit, uh, you know, you know, I I like you, and, and and for sure, I I think I like you a lot more than I thought I would. You know, you. That was what I said about you, David. <laughs> This is, uh, I mean, and, and look, I, I respect the fact this is, this is, this is part of what, what, what people say about Hetty Rosenstein. You, you just seem entirely comfortable in your own skin, and that's, that's rare in politics. Well, you know, I, I really do believe in the issue of having the courage of your convictions. And, you know, what motivates me is what I believe in. And so I am really comfortable with what I do as long as it's consistent with what I believe in. And you so so, so you've been you were a union member forty years and you've been 40. head of Yeah, I've been the area director for the New Jersey State Director for fourteen years. But forty years ago I was a teacher at the New Jersey Job Corps and we organized with CWA. And from there it's all history, I guess. And and from there it's all history. Yeah. So so you were a progressive Democrat back before being progressive was in vogue. Back when you were, you know, the, a lot of the a lot of the Democrats in in New Jersey were were more centrist, or, or they were they were liberal Democrats. But when did you when did you first become interested in politics, and and when did you how did you develop your 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 views? Was it was it as a union member? Was it as a, a young person? Where did where did this all come from? It's the womb, David. From the womb. <laughs> it's in my whole family. You know, I was born into a very progressive and activist family. My parents were active first in the civil rights movement and then in the anti-war movement. And I sort of tumbled into the labor movement. But my politics, I think I had my politics by the time I was in sixth grade. Well, I really and, do. It hasn't changed. And this is no, just this is just who you are. It's just who I am. I think that I always knew, you know, look, I always ended up identifying with whether it was the underdog, it was the people not in power. It, from the time I was a kid, I knew which side I was on. I was never confused. And 
yeah, it is who I am. And I think that, you know, the labor movement and CWA, and I knew I was home immediately because the struggles that we waged on behalf of working people um, is really where I've always been. And I'm speaking with labor leader Hetty Rosenstein of the Communication Workers of America. You, you, you're self-described in your social media, union till I die. Uh, now that you, you look at the next chapter of your life, uh, uh, could we ever see Hetty Rosenstein in management? Never. No. No, you will not see me in management. I am never, I am not, if that was the question, will I go into the administration or get a management job now? I'm never going to do that. Union, union till the very end. Yeah, I mean, I'll do political work and I want to do political work. I want to support really good candidates and, you know, be able to continue to speak out. I want to work with progressive women. The progressive women in New Jersey are just amazing they're so smart and really are running everything, except the men don't know it. I, it <laughs> they're just wonderful. So I really want to continue to do work with them. I'll work in, you know, I'll do stuff with campaign work. But no, I, I don't expect I would ever go into management. So, so Phil Murphy, Governor Murphy, is said to be the most progressive governor in the history in New Jersey. Uh, what's... What's at stake with his reelection right now? Oh, I think a lot's at stake. I, I mean, the governor has made tremendous progress in terms of getting the state's economy back in a place, addressing the issues of things like tax fairness. That's really critical. From the union point of view, the pension is, you know, the number one issue. Um, and I think that is absolutely at stake. And I just think this overall direction of being for everyone as, as opposed to a chosen for few, that is what's at stake here in this election. So I say this, people who listen to me or, or read what I write, I, 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 I mention this just so often. Uh, New Jersey, one of the bluest states in the country, but Democrats haven't reelected a governor. New Jersey hasn't reelected a Democratic governor since 1977. For some reason, uh, New Jersey seems to prefer a Republican governor. Why, why is that? Well, I think part of it has to do with this sort of odd situation that we have where um, when we have a governor running, there's only one other state. And so massive amounts of money come in from the outside. But, you know, governors have trouble getting reelected. I, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, Jim McGreevy almost knocked off Christy Whitman. 25,000 votes. It was very close. Right. Yeah. Very, very close. So that could have actually happened. And then when we had Corzine and Christie, we had a third party, right, that ended up taking, right, Chris Daggett that took votes from Corzine. So I, while I think it is, there's a history that the governor has to overcome in terms of Democrats, I think any governor, incumbents in New Jersey, generally, not always, obviously Chris Christie got a free ride. But um, I think it's a tough race because of just because of the timing and there's only another one other gubernatorial race. So and I think the governor will have I think it will be a tough race. I do. I I joke a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, I joke a lot. You, you know, I mean, I think you and I joke. I've, I've said it to you also, but but I said that I believe New Jersey's uh, a vibrant two-party state. I'm just not entirely sure that the Republicans are one of those two parties. Is is the is the is the big tent of the New Jersey Democratic Party maybe maybe too big for all the constituencies? It's an interesting it's an interesting question. Look, I think the it isn't that the big tent. Um, is too big or it doesn't, you know, everybody can't fit or any of that. I think New Jersey's political issues do really come down to this very odd circumstance we have with the county line. And then when you have all one party, you know, then they war within the party as to who's going to get ahead, right? So so I think that that's a, a factor here in New Jersey always, Right. So let's let's talk about the organization line, because one race I know you're very interested in is the the Bergen County State Senate race for the, the seat that Loretta Weinberg is is giving up this year. She's retiring. You're backing Valerie Veneri Huddle. Uh, the organization yeah. line has gone to to Gordon Johnson, who, who's been a fairly liberal Democratic legislator. You know, he's voted voted very similar. Yeah. What's. What's going on there? First of all, what's what's the level of your involvement going to be, and and what's uh, what's going on there? Is this is this the opportunity where an off the line candidate can win? Maybe it's possible. Um, it's an open seat. We've got two incumbents. Those are really the. It is almost the only circumstance where you can win off the line. So I think it is possible. Um, so maybe. And, uh, you know, I think from I think CWA is going to be very involved. And and we you know, the union really likes Valerie, not because uh, we didn't have a good relationship with Gordon or that his voting record is that different. But Valerie was an active person. You know, she was when she was chair of the Human Services Committee, she reached out to us. To say, we, I heard a member of yours was stabbed. We had a diapers worker stabbed in Camden. And she said, how can I help? Or, you know, what do you need from me as the chair of the Human Services Committee? So I think that goes really far for our members. And, and so there's a lot of real deep support there for her. Um, but I also think this is a really interesting race because... Um, it feels so much like the decision for, to have to give Gordon the line was a pure power politics backroom decision. It didn't have anything to do with somebody deciding who would do the best job or who is the most likely to win it. It was pure, pure politics. Who's going to support the Senate president? Who, you know, it, it really is deep insider stuff that has nothing to do with what the public needs. And but he has Gordon Johnson has I mean he's collected a lot of support and, and I guess I guess that's that's one of the the interesting things about this race. So you have two two, two legislators basically identical voting records, right? I mean they're they're they vote the same way. One uh, one spends more time writing legislation. The other spends more time going to local events and getting to know people in the community. Where is this a is this a referendum on 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 the tale of two legislators and and 
what's the best way to get to the Senate to be a, a prolific law writer or to be, you know, in, in a hands-on uh, activist within the community? Well, I'm not convinced that the person who's the prolific law writer isn't also a hands-on person in the community. So I'm not sure that I agree that one that it is one thing versus the other. In my opinion, the reason that Gordon Johnson has this line has to do with deep inside Democratic Party politics and where the machine decides that its bread is best buttered. I don't think it has to do with whether somebody writes laws or somebody is real well-known in the community. This is- I think that it's really, it is the inside, you know, of, of the sausage making in Democratic Party politics. Well, this is going to be a fascinating one to watch. Before we go, I'm speaking to Hetty Rosenstein of the CWA. So, so what's what's your and I know you could probably spend an hour talking about this, but just just in a, in a minute, what what's your legacy? What do you want people to to read about Hetty Rosenstein 50 years from now when they study New Jersey <laughs> politics in the in the 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s and 2010s? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure, except I'll say only one thing, and that isn't attributable just to me. It's been an incredible struggle and fight, and that is protecting the pensions of hundreds of thousands of workers and retirees who never missed a payment and who, through no fault of their own, uh, their payments, their pension payments weren't made. And I feel like that, if there is any legacy, it's that we protect that pension and retirees are able to retire in this state. Well, it's a, it's a, that's a good legacy for you and, 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 and appropriate. And, uh, and I will, will look forward to uh, continuing to talk with you no matter, no matter what role you're playing in New Jersey. Uh, thank you for coming on, Hetty Rosenstein. My pleasure. Nice talking to you, Dave. Nice talking to you. Uh, I've been speaking with Hetty Rosenstein of the CWA. Uh, I will be back uh, in three minutes to talk about uh, a big surprise with the New Jersey Supreme Court this week. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. BookandFilmGlobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back, everybody. There was a, a big surprise this week in New Jersey, uh, and it involves the, uh, the top court. Uh, Janie Lavecchia. 
She is an associate justice of the New Jersey Supreme Court. She has been there uh, for nearly 21 years, and she announced this week uh, in a surprise that she was retiring. Uh, New Jersey has a mandatory retirement age for uh, all judges of 70, and Justice Lavecki at 66. She still had four more years to go. doesn't happen often that somebody walks away from the Supreme Court before they have to. It happens from time to time, but it is it is rare. And what's happening now is this gives Governor Phil Murphy the chance to pick a new justice in an election year. It gives him a chance to tip the, the partisan balance of the Supreme Court. Right now, the New Jersey Supreme Court has three Democrats. It has three Republicans, and it has Lavecchia, who is technically an independent, but not really, really a Republican. It's really a, a four to three Republican majority. And now Phil Murphy is is positioned to flip that. Justice Lavecchia started out as an assistant counsel to Governor Tom Kane. She, she served in Governor Christy Whitman's cabinet before she was nominated to the Supreme Court in 2000. So, so aside from the technicalities of voter registration, this is a this is a Republican seat, and Governor Murphy is going to to fill it. And Governor Murphy is going to pick a Democrat, and he's going to pick a liberal Democrat, and he's going to pick a young Democrat who can serve on the court for twenty to thirty years. Uh, that's what he did last year. He named Fabiana Pierre-Louis to fill an open seat. She was she was just 39 years uh, years old. Uh, she can potentially stay on the court until 2050 or, or even longer if the state winds up extending the retirement ages of judges. That's something that that the governor has has told me that he's he's seriously considering. Uh, and. So unless there's another surprise winner, uh, retirement, uh, the person who wins this year's gubernatorial election is going to pick three Supreme Court justices between 2022 and 2024. That's when those three justices turn 70. Uh, so so. What's happening here is that Governor Murphy, in his in his second real appointment, uh, is positioning himself to make up a, a Supreme Court, put together a Supreme Court uh, that will be his legacy. That 25 years from now, people will will know the names of the justices that Governor Murphy uh, has nominated, and and then you're going to have to remind people, oh yeah, Phil Murphy, he was he was governor a long time ago. This is his legacy. The court is his legacy. Legacy. And, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of very important uh, uh, things that are done on that state Supreme Court that determine uh, what laws can be passed, what actions the governor is going to take. So this is this is hugely important. It's not a U.S. Supreme Court nomination, but it's it's enormously important to how the state runs. Uh, I think Governor Murphy is going to name a woman. Uh, when he named Justice Pierre Louis last year, he adjusted the gender gap on the Supreme Court. It was five men and two women, and now it's four men and three women. Um, uh, I think 
I think these kind of things are enormously important to Governor Murphy. I, I think there's no way that he's going to return this court to a 5-2 male majority. Phil Murphy is a, a, a back-of-the-baseball card guy, and, and, and the you know what it, what it represents, what it shows of naming uh, justices of uh, uh, that, that, that reflect the diversity of New Jersey, very, very important to Phil Murphy. And, and I think you're going to see him uh, – reflect that when he makes this this appointment. Uh, the ball's now in the governor's court. All of us are waiting to see who he nominates. Uh, Republicans may balk at an election year Supreme Court nomination. I mean, that'll be, a, be an interesting conversation about Republicans saying you shouldn't nominate somebody to the Supreme Court in an election year one, a, one year after Republicans did just that. But, you know, this is New Jersey and anything can happen. Uh, big players on this are going to be Senate President Steve Sweeney and the the Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Nicholas Scutari, uh, Senator Sweeney, ultimately controls everything that happens in the Senate, which means the governor can nominate somebody and 39 senators can say, sure, I'm fine. That's a great idea. Let's do it. But if Steve Sweeney doesn't want to advance that nomination, if the Senate president, the most powerful legislative leader probably in the country says he doesn't want to do it, then it doesn't go anywhere. And Nick Scatari, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, if he doesn't want to move forward with the nomination, he doesn't have to. I think they will. I think this is these are Democrats. These are this is going to be changing, as I said before, the makeup of the court. And I think they're uh, they're all going to get together. But what's important here is that Justice Slovakia has given plenty of time. Plenty of time before she's leaving. She's leaving on on August 31st. The new court term starts on September 1st. Uh, the governor has time to vet candidates. He has time to make his appointment. The Senate has time to conduct its due diligence. And I think they'll they'll all they'll all get this together. But it's it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch. And for for those who aren't paying attention to this, you, you should pay attention because uh, it, it is just it's got exponential importance to what's happening in New Jersey. Uh, one more you know, one more thing before I go is is there's some big news this week. Uh, New Jersey has a new state senator. Her name is Holly Shapizzi from Bergen County, and uh, Holly Shapizzi. Five-term assemblywoman won a special election to replace Gerald Cardinal in the state Senate. Uh, Senator Cardinal died last month at age 86. He had spent nearly 40 years in the Senate, and uh, uh, that's a, that, that was a record at the time of his death with with, with Dick Cody. Uh, Holly Shapizzi won it by eight votes. This election is is also going to be exciting. Let's watch that primary. Thank you everybody for joining me this week. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Thank you to Kevin Sanders, and we'll be back. Back to you next week with a new New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC.
If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not from woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly wait. 